reading from the book of John. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrews Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well, whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. And for Matthew 20, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And as two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. That's got to be the strangest question ever. What do you want? I mean, he said it. In both instances, a man who had been lame for 38 years, did that mean he was 38 years of age? Could have been. Did it mean that at some point in his life he had a tragic accident? Doesn't really matter. 38 years. And then two men, both blind. The need was obvious. What they wanted was obvious. And yet Jesus asks, what do you want? Think about it. This passage in John chapter 5 talking about the, the pool of water and the stirring of the waters, it's pretty amazing. You look back at the background of that and you'll discover that this pool called Bethesda was a sacred place not to just Jews but to pagans as well. That's where this legend about the water being stirred up and whoever got to it first being healed came from. It was an opportunity to give, pay homage and worship to a pagan deity that was popular in that day and time, even in Jerusalem. So for Jesus to walk up to a man who had been lame for 38 years and to ask him what he wanted, I can almost see the man as... He looks down at his legs that cannot move. And then as he looks up and perhaps gazed into the sun and saw the face of a man who was not being caustic. He was not being cruel. 
Jesus had compassion written all over his face. So it must be that Jesus was asking this question because he wanted to get to a deeper level. He wanted to, he wanted to say something and do something bodily important to this man's state of mind, his peace of mind. Two blind men, beggars, put down on the road perhaps every day, led there by their family just as the lame man in Bethesda probably was dropped off there every day by someone that cared for him, be it blood family or relative of some kind or another, or maybe just a support group of friend. And every day going through the same routine and then hearing that this man Jesus was on the roadside, they yelled. That's the only way they could communicate. They couldn't see. And as they began to yell, the crowd began to push them back and to tell them to be quiet. But... All of a sudden, everyone got quiet. These two blind friends knew that for one reason or another, their shouting had caught the attention of the son of David, Jesus. And Jesus asked the same question. Now, in our version we read today, he said, what do you want me to do? Basically saying the same thing. Isn't it obvious, Lord, what we want you to do? Open our eyes, which he did. Help me to walk, which he did. We're talking about healing. We're talking about peace of mind. We're talking about people who are in desperate straits. And we read about a Lord, about a Son of God about the Messiah of this universe, our Savior and Lord, asking in each of these instances. And if you go and look at all of the miracles that Jesus performed in the New Testament, there's something in the back here where this question seems to always rise to the surface. What is it that you really want? Jesus healed these people physically, Just like that. But I want to address you for a few minutes. What had to have happened immediately after the physical healing? Do you think that life was totally normal for this man who hadn't walked in 38 years to all of a sudden be able to walk? Do you think he faced some issues that perhaps he needed help and support in order to to carry on? No doubt. Do you think that two friends that had been blind from for all these years to where they were just begging, to where they just went through every day, where they wondered what was going to happen next? Do you think that when Jesus opened their eyes that immediately they had full-time employment and a retirement account that was more than enough? Do you think that they faced some issues? Do you think that people looked at them a little bit strange? Do you think that maybe there were other factors going on? course there were. You see, I envision these examples of physical healing that are found in the New Testament as people who were moving from hope to helplessness. I can't help but think that over the years, after 38 years, this man who had who was lame, wondering if he would ever make it to that water, if it ever stirred, and I personally doubt if it ever stirred because it was a legend based on a pagan myth 
And so each and every day, as he thought, something will get better. It just got worse until his whole life was just filled with hopelessness. Or two friends, both blind, both beggars. At one point thinking that maybe people will have mercy upon us and maybe there will be some type of occupation that we can, we can make a living. To be blind doesn't mean your life is over. To be lame does not mean that you have no purpose or that you're totally worthless. And perhaps hope was, was in these people. Perhaps hope was something they looked forward to each and every day until after each and every day and each and every month and each and every year. They finally gave up. Tori, you've got a man who will barely look up into the eyes of anyone. And he quit waiting for those waters to stir years before. And you've got two men who are both blind. And they've been told in so many words, if not just the way they're treated, that they are a blight on society. And that their lives would be better used not being alive at all. From hope to hopelessness. You know, it's not hard to get there for people. All we have to do is look at a situation that we just mentioned going on in Paris, France. All you have to do is open the newspaper today. I haven't looked at mine yet, but I'll look at it when I get home this afternoon. And there's no doubt that it's just going to be a reminder that there are so many people whose lives hang by a thread because basically... They have no hope. And yet, Jesus in this question, what do you want, stirs from within each one of us that we can move from helplessness to hope. That it doesn't have to be this way forever. We can make strides. We can find a way to healing, to manageability of symptoms. That's what this passage is all about to me. It's about, yes, there are people who move from hope to hopelessness, but yet it's possible to move from that helplessness, that helpless state, back to hope. And how does it happen? How does a lame man carry on with his life? How do two blind men who've never been able to to do anything with their hands and terms of manual labor? How do they reconnect with their families? How do they find hope again? How do they continue to move forward? We know they followed Jesus. It says these two guys who were blind immediately followed him. I mean, what else was left for them to do? But it's all those situations. It's all those factors that go into helping us become whole once again. That's what's at stake here. That's what I want to ask you to think with me about for a few minutes this morning. You see, when Jesus asked, what do you want? I think he had in mind the fact that he understood and knew that if we were going to move from helplessness back to hope, if we were going to be complete once again, that there were going to have to be some factors, some things that we take into consideration, some best practices that we take up, that we commit to. Like what? Well, I have four in mind. And these four are not original to me by any means. But I want to remind you of them. I want you to think along with me. Because it could well be 
that there are some lives in the balance today. It could well be that there are some people, there are some families in our midst that have moved from hope to total helplessness because they've given up. What's it going to take? What will it take for a man who had been lame for 38 years to get back in society and be productive? What's it going to take for two blind men who now all of a sudden have sight and can see? What are they going to do? How do they take it in? What kind of resources did they need back in the New Testament that aren't mentioned here but are obvious? There are some physical needs that every single one of us have. And if you're moving through a time when you are struggling, if you are moving through a time when you feel that the walls are caving in on you, if you are in a state of helplessness today, there is a part of your life, a side of your life, if you will, that must be supported in a time like this. And it has to do with physical needs. As a matter of fact, these four that I want to visit with you about this morning, actually, I almost view them like holding on to a trampoline. If your life was a trampoline and you had four sides to that trampoline, it's a square or a rectangle, and you've got people that are holding up each side of the, tri- of the trampoline that represents your well-being in your life. You've got to have people who are holding up all four sides or it's not going to work. And one of those sides, one of those areas of support involves physical needs that you and I have. Sleep. Now, I know, Stephen, that's why I come to church. (laughs) It's not what I'm talking about. Sleep. There is a physical need that you have in your life, that we all have in our lives. And it is a rhythm of rest, a rhythm of sleep. And many people who are in this state of helplessness, who are in this vice grip of, of pain and misery... Part of it has to do with not having that physical need met. Medication, meds. There are caregivers, doctors, physicians who practice medicine. And I say practice and underscore it because there are so many variables But it has been proven that if you are truly going to be back on the road to mending your life and to having relief and to move back to a hopeful state in your life, it will be because many times, more more times than not, because you're under a doctor's care and you're getting medicine and you're experimenting with medication and you're making sure that the balance is right and you make sure that those people that are holding up that part of your life understand it. It's a physical It's a medical need. Relaxation. Nutrition. Exercise. I mean, these things sound so simple and almost so trite. And yet, when Jesus asked these two groups, what do you want? We want to be healed. Part of that as they moved forward was that they had to understand that those physical aspects of their lives were vitally important. Do you understand what relaxation means? Do you ever give yourself a break? If you're in this this mental state of fury and frenzy and you don't know which way to turn, perhaps a lot of it is understanding what relaxation is and following a diet that's going to help your body to heal and exercise. It's a four-letter word to some people, but it shouldn't be. But to keep one's body in a position 
to where it can heal. Once again, think about it. I mean, just put some common sense to it. When a man who had been lame for 38 years was able to pick up his pallet and walk, he faced a whole new set of challenges. And some of them were physical. There are mental needs that we have as well. This is another side of of your life's trampoline, if you will. The support that you need in order to, to function and to be hopeful. Therapy and counseling. Very important. Acknowledging the need for outside help. Someone, and I say professional in the sense that they have the training to help you and me to navigate the feelings and the priorities and the things that are happening in our life. Therapy and counseling is vitally important. Learning coping skills. Learning how to take those moments when you feel like you're losing control or your loved one is losing control and helping remind them, helping to stay on top of skills that perhaps you learned from the medical community or you learned when you were talking to a concerned professional. These needs must be met. Routine. Perhaps the the one thing that people who were in dire need of help, that have moved to helplessness in their mental frame of mind, is that they have no no structure in their life. They need a set routine. And all these things are fluid. It, It depends upon the situation. I'm just trying to open the conversation amidst the people of God, the community of faith, where people are going to come and seek help for us to understand and know. So you've got... Physical needs, mental needs that make up what? Two sides of that support system that we all need if our life indeed is that that trampoline and we're looking for help and support. But then there are relational needs as well. These go without saying. Family and friends. The opportunity to, to take the support that people who care about us offer. To not... Stiff arm it, to not turn away from it, to not be embarrassed, and to accept it. Resolving conflict, probably the single most, the largest barrier to people having a positive frame of mind and moving toward fulfillment and hope, is that if conflict remains in your life, whatever form it is, until that is resolved. doesn't mean everything ends up just like you want it. But until it is addressed, addressed and resolved, it's going to be very hard for that part of your life to receive the support that it needs. You need it. Forgiveness, forgiving others, and forgiving yourself. How many people face issues of mental illness and mental instability and mental anguish and torment, and it's all tied into unforgiveness? Bearing grudges. You've got to be willing and ready to overcome stigma. By that I mean people, people look at those who have a mental issue and they seem to segregate it from the physical. And whereas it's simple common sense that if you have a physical ailment, you take medicine. If you have a mental ailment, then all of a sudden it's a different scenario and you're weak if you respond to that. And so what does that do? It builds up stigma. It builds up prejudice. It builds up embarrassment. 
and an unwillingness to be, to be open and authentic. So you've got to have these physical needs, these mental needs, these relational needs. And then, of course, I guess the one that undergirds it all, but if we just look at it as one other side of that support system that you need, it's got to have the spiritual dimension, the spiritual aspect. That's why Jesus asked that question that sounds so strange. What do you want? We may have thought we just needed this one thing, and yet Jesus opens our minds and our eyes to the possibility that if we really talk about what we want, we want so much more than maybe what we're just willing to ask for. We want completeness. We want victory. We want restoration. And so in the spiritual realm, you've got that hope. You've got that goal, that, that one thing that, that keeps us going, that helps us to hang on. Without it, it's difficult to navigate a path like this and have success. We have an identity in Christ. Can't underestimate the fact that even though saying you're a believer or you're a follower of Jesus, that doesn't solve all of the issues that you have. But it certainly is the foundation. It certainly is the key to moving forward. And that is to know who you are in Jesus. That you are forgiven. That you are a child of God. That he loves you. That he went to a cross and died for you. And you receive that gift by faith. Your purpose. Why are you here? Why am I upon this earth? What is the plan of God for you? What is it for me? What is it for our church? The simple fact that we have growth, that spiritual growth, that we need to see ourselves making progress, not for the sake of earning something that we can only receive by grace through faith, but the fact that when Jesus said, what do you want? I think he had in mind that he wanted these men as they were walking and as they were seen for the first time, that they would understand the potential for growth in their own lives to reach out and to help others. And then, of course, community has got to be part of that spiritual help. That's where the church comes in. That's why this whole discussion of, of mental anguish and mental health centers upon the church and our lackluster response to so many. So, folks, you've got these physical needs, you have these mental needs, you have these relational needs, you have these spiritual needs, and all four sides of your life, all four portions of your trampoline, you've got to have that support. If you don't have it, your recovery and your moving back to hope is going to be tough. What do you want to answer that question, you have to acknowledge your need. Just as these men did because they responded, Lord, you know what I want. Jesus asked it because he wanted them to understand it was much more than just a physical healing. It was much more than just having eyes open. But it was a new path. It was a new opportunity to live life to the fullest. What do you really want until you acknowledge that need? It's not going to happen. This past Christmas, I had a 
I had a, an episode on uh, Monday, December the 22nd. I woke up, went to bed that Sunday night, the 21st, after we had church. And I didn't sleep that well that night, but that Monday morning I woke up and I was in desperate trouble. Never felt this way in my entire life. 60 years old, never had this sense of foreboding that I had. I said nothing to anyone because it would be weakness for me to tell my wife. So I didn't say anything. I went through that day and couldn't concentrate on the tasks at hand, staff meeting. I remember sitting there, but every conversation I had was as though I was not part of it, but just looking on from above. We had company to our house that night, and I struggled through the evening, but I felt like I was just observing what was going on as we were uh, having friends over that night. And then Tuesday morning, I got up and felt even worse. I do a Bible study here for men on uh, Tuesday mornings at 6.30, and I got here at usually at 5.30, and couldn't walk in this building, couldn't go in my study because there were no windows there. So all these things started just going through my mind. I am claustrophobic. That's probably part of what my issues have always been. When you wear hearing aids and both ears are plugged up and you're scared of tight places anyway, it just made it worse. But I remember I would not walk into my study. I've been walking into that room every week for years. So I spent the entire hour walking through this building, praying the 23rd Psalm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Except I added my own paraphrase. You better help me now. Came home and told Marcy that something was up with me. She got me into the doctor. The doctor got me onto a regimen of medication and gave me some coping skills. And then I immediately plugged into a counselor that I saw for several weeks following, a lady who doesn't know me from anyone. I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to tell her what I did, though I did because that's part of who I am. But she helped me to understand and to know that what I was experiencing really didn't matter what caused it. That's what the doctor told me too. Could have been a combination of things. But you see, for those hours... I had all these reasons why this was happening to me. I was a lousy person, number one. I was a terrible son to my mother. I was the world's worst husband. I was a terrible preacher. There had to be some explanation for it, you see. And until I got under the care of people who cared about me, I didn't really see that and understand that. I went to Israel last year after Christmas, and I remember telling Marcy and telling the doctor, there's no way I'm going to get on a metal tube and fly for 10 hours. Most people can go to Israel for themselves for all I care. But I went. I confided in my family, and I told them what was going on in my mind. And I told them on Christmas Day, if you see me out in the backyard just kind of looking up at the sky, just know I'm okay. Just need a minute. Was it because I had cancer several years ago? 
Was I punishing myself because the only reason I got that disease is because I was a bad person? See, it's amazing what goes through your mind. And it's also amazing when you're honest with yourself and with God and with those who care about you so that you can come back. Now, is your pastor crazy? No more so than you. (laughs) And for someone to tell me that I was a weak person for taking that medication for several months, the only thing I can tell you is I know what I know. And if I ever feel that way again, which I very possibly could, I hope to know and to have some means of sending a signal to people that care, like Marcy, because I don't like to just say, I'm feeling strange. But I hope that if that sense of foreboding ever overtakes me again, I will see it for what it is and understand and know that it is real. And that Jesus asked me the same question. What do you want? You remember that picture from last week? Despair. But you know that harp up there she's holding? It's got one string on it. And as long as you've got that one string, there's hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Longing, longing for Jesus, I have a longing in my heart for Him. Just to be near Him, to feel His presence. I have a longing in my heart than silver or gold I'd rather be his than have riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world
learn to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world Than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. Father, thank you for hope. Thank you for taking each one of us in our particular situations and pointing us in the right direction once we're willing to answer the question, what do we really want? And thank you for being the God who heals us, who helps us to manage the issues we face in life. You're good, and we love you. Amen. We close this service like we do each and every week. It's an invitation. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to come in here and tell us what kind of issue you face. I told you mine. Take it, do with it what you want. It is what it is. But I am telling you this, that you've got some needs that are physical, that are relational, that are spiritual, that are mental. And only God can truly meet those needs. It begins with acknowledging your need for a Savior. And so we offer the opportunity for you to say yes to the Lordship of Christ in your life. He died on a cross that you might live. What does that mean? It means that you respond to Him and in that spiritual transaction, you cross a line of faith and you become His child. Maybe you're here today and know the Lord, just hadn't told anyone. Come tell us. Maybe you've never followed Him in believer's baptism like Caroline did at the beginning of the service. Maybe a church to call your own is what God is leading you to do. We offer our church a place where imperfect people are seeking to walk in the path that God has given to us. And maybe you just need prayer. We've got folks here, Lon and Liz and Ray, who are here just to pray with you. Remember, the question is very simple. Jesus asked it every time. What do you want? That's the invitation. We stand together. We wait for you here in the front. Won't you step out and come as God leads?